1: Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
2: Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 657 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show. I'm joined this week by Lucy O'Brien. Hello, it's good to be back with crazy,
3: like crazier hair than before.
2: I mean, that's you know, give us a few more months and we'll all just look like um Robin Williams after he comes out of the Jumanji board, probably. <laughs> uh that's about what I'm expecting to look like by the end of this. Uh and we're also joined this week by Tom. Rogue Squadron Marks, that's the R that came to mind this morning when I was putting her on a show together. I know it's not your middle name, but that's what I chose. Hightower. I
4: feel like I feel like if my parents actually gave me that middle name, that would be like that that's some next level prescience that they've got going on.
2: That would be very impressive. Uh, yeah. I'd also want to talk to I guess was it level five who who made Rogue Squadron? If oh
4: don't that. test me on that. Don't don't yeah. put me on the spot like that. Don't worry, we're we're not going to be talking about
2: that game on the show, of course, because we're here to talk about PlayStation games, and even though the uh, biggest gaming news this week is definitely going to be about the Xbox showcase coming later this week, we still have plenty of PlayStation news to talk about, so much so that my dog, who you may hear barking in the background, is very excited about. Uh, before we get into all the news to talk about, I did want to mention, uh, we did put up uh, in addition to our normal episode last week, uh, a Ghost of Tsushima spoiler-free uh, impressions piece. Uh, so if you are jumping into that game uh, or you haven't jumped in yet and want to hear more about it, we didn't go into any spoilers about it, but you can hear all of our thoughts on it there. Uh, but we will be having a more spoiler-filled interview episode. We spoke with uh, Jason Cannell from Sucker Punch, who is the creative director and art director of that game, and he spoke to us uh, all in spoiler-filled ways about the really cool coming together of that game, the work that went into it, and some of the storytelling and gameplay stuff we loved in it. So definitely look forward to that episode. Uh, And also this week, if you're wondering why Max and Brian aren't here, it's because they are hard at work preparing for our Comic-Con live show that is going to be this full, huge production on IGN.com. So even if you've never been able to attend Comic-Con, you can sort of attend this virtual Comic-Con. Loki, you can't attend. But you can attend uh, by watching at home and checking out a ton of coverage we have coming on IGN.com. So stay tuned for all of that stuff. He's so excited. He, he's just <laughs> so excited about it. He's He cannot wait for Comic-Con and for the treats that he thinks I'm withholding. Uh, fun fact, we actually did realize this week, Loki hates when either my girlfriend or I are talking to our computers. He thinks, oh. we're, he thinks mm-hmm. we're ignoring him in some capacity. And so he has to bark at us to get our attention. Um, So with that, though, I am going to move into some of the news as it happens, uh, and hopefully we only have minimal barking in the meantime, Uh, but the first thing I do want to jump into was the fact that we sort of saw our first hands-on with the DualSense, a controller that has been billed as a thing that you really need to get your hands on for yourself and feel how it changes gameplay. None of us got to do that, except for Jeff Keighley. He got to go hands-on with the DualSense and play Astro's Playroom, which is going to be built into the PS5. It's going to be on the system when you buy it, and you'll be able to jump in and play for yourselves. And it seems to be sort of a uh, test bed for what the DualSense will be able to do when it, it when it comes to uh, feeling your games. Uh, if you've ever mocked me for saying a game makes you feel a certain way, apparently that's what the DualSense is all about. I don't know uh, what you're
3: talking about, Donna. I have... What? <laughs>
2: it's a it's you know don't worry about i'll explain it to you after the call um but anyway i wanted to mention because this was i thought an interesting first showing option i guess for the dual sense i don't know what you both thought but at least having only one person tell me what they felt about how the dual sense feels wasn't maybe the like best test case for here's what actually this controller is going to do uh lucy what did you think of this like first showing of the dual sense
1: yeah
3: it was an interesting interesting uh way to go about it i think so many people have said to us you have to feel it for yourselves you know you have to experience it for yourselves obviously that's Uh, not something we can do, but uh, I think a a variety of voices uh, having opinions about it would have gone a long way rather than just one guy's take. Uh, It's like, you know, it is is one of those things where obviously we're not going to experience it until we get our hands on it, but yeah, it was just an odd kind of, odd way to go about it, I thought.
2: Especially at a time during the year when most likely a lot of us, if not at E3 at another Sony event or at uh, hands-on from third-party games at E3 and stuff, would have probably all been giving our thoughts on the DualSense
3: uh, at this time. And I it's... mean, totally. And, and, you know, amazing hustle from Keeley. Like, all yes. kudos to him. Like, that's amazing that he got that, that get. It's just that, yeah, for, from my perspective, it didn't give me anywhere close to the level of uh, detail that I was after.
4: Well, and it's also... It's important, like that. That matters with the dual sense. I think having that varied perspective on it, just in this case, more than a lot of other things, like controller hands-on. That is because, like a lot of the promises it's making, and this isn't me saying it won't fulfill anything, but like, or any of the things it's saying, but like a lot of the promises it's making are things we've heard elsewhere. Like I think back, my mind immediately went back to, and I think I told you this, Jonathan, of like the, when, when they were first showing off the Nintendo switch joy con and they were talking all about HD rumble and they were doing this example of like, you can hold the joy con and feel ice cubes in a glass and shake, shake it. And you'll feel the ice cubes in it. And that you had people being like, wow it feels like there's ice cubes in this controller and like then that was never really used in any sort of meaningful way on the switch and so like we're being told not saying that the dual sense is just hd rumble i'm just saying like we've, we've heard similar promises before and like it's really really hard to take anything any like anybody is saying seriously about this until you play it yourself, let alone like one single voice. And so like, yeah, I agree that like, this isn't really the type of thing where I can see one person playing it and hear their thoughts and be like, okay, cool. I'm sold. You know, I I still need to know a lot more about it. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's a really, it. both the Switch one, because with HD Rumble, it was like 1-2 Switch used it for like a Guess the Marbles game, and it yeah. felt cool, and then Mario Odyssey in one level let you feel where the rocks were passing by him, and then right. pretty much it went away, and then the on the Xbox One we had those Rumble triggers that were yeah. supposed to be, a,
4: and then pretty much just forza use them to any like notable degree i think forza Forza horizon was like the only game that i ever was like wow this is really taking advantage of this in that entire like history of that
2: yeah and and so it's this weird thing where like this is so ingrained it's literally part of the name the dual sense to let you censure games and it it is something that i do think they need to really push especially before launch in this you know and granted we are at this weird um disadvantage because we can't all go to events where a hundred people would be able to try it on at hands-on at once and so i get why they would only maybe want to send it to keely's house and only know one person has their hands on the dual sense but
3: it's just it's just so funny because the last time we saw uh sony at any kind of like summer of gaming affair was e3 in 20 why is 18? my brain 18, 18, 20 yeah. 18. um and time has lost all meaning uh and you know that particular showcase was so extravagant in fact it was too extravagant it was way too extravagant for for people who were there it was way too extravagant for people watching it uh it was just you know it 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 was such a so much money and 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 intent went into that uh whereas this is just like oh Jeff Keighley will you know talk about the, the the new controller the controller of the PlayStation Five, like it's just it, you know, it's just Apple's, and like it's so, it's changed so much their approach to to marketing, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting. I I think a middle ground would have gone some way in this in this instance.
2: Yeah. And it, it's going to be really interesting because like, as Tom was saying, um, especially with the HD rumble, that kind of just disappeared, but this is supposed to be a key selling point for the PS5. And so, um, you know, like on the show, we had the books next devs talking about it uh, on the site. We had the death loop devs talking about it and all of them sound really excited by the prospect of the DualSense. Like they all talk excitedly about, yeah, getting to let you know like the different terrain you're on or the feedback of the way the gun handles in Deathloop or all these different things. It sounds really cool, but it is one of those like, it's gonna really matter one, what it feels like once we all have our hands on it. And two, if devs continue to support that feature or if it kind of goes the way of the six axis, motion control and then they do a quick change and then it's the dual five comes out in a year and we forget about the dual sense it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out um i i do want to mention though there was a, at least a little bit of news that came uh in addition to keely's hands-on and getting to see some of uh astro playroom astro's playroom uh footage he was uh speaking to eric lempel the worldwide marketing head at sony um because early last week out of nowhere everyone suddenly had decided on the internet that we were going to find out about ps5 pre-orders that day and then that (laughs) never happened um and on the stream Limpel was talking sort of about how he was in a meeting and he was getting calls from people saying hey we have reports that people are lining up at some stores which don't go line up at the store right now but they're lining up at stores you know waiting to go buy ps5s and pre-order them and Sony never put out any word. And so Lempel essentially said, we're not going to surprise you with PS5 pre-orders. This is not something that's just going to, you know, go up at 6am on a Tuesday and good luck if you happen to get one. They said they are going to let people know, give people enough time to prepare. Um And I don't know how you both felt, but it's just, it it's so interesting to me because right now I think, and you know, we saw this a little bit with the lead up the end the reaction to the Nintendo Direct Mini even a couple days ago, like, people are just so hungry for any scrap of information, uh, especially in the lead up to these new consoles on the PS5 and Xbox Series X sign, that I think, like, the slightest hint that we're going to get news just sends everyone into a fever pitch of, oh, we must be getting news because someone said we're getting news. Um, but I do think it's nice that they're saying, we'll let you know when that happens. But it's just one of those, like, we're a few months away. When is it going to happen?
4: Well, also, what are you going to do? You're going to let Amazon announce the price of the PS5 like that? That was the thing that was like hilarious to me about all that was the implication that the pre-order link would go live without us knowing it was like, oh, then the price is just going to be announced by retailers like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I, I think it. I understand that sort of like hype of like just wanting any sort of nugget, but yeah, the I'm glad that they are. Being explicit in a way that, frankly, a corporation does not need to be explicit by just saying, "Hey, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we are going to tell you before we put pre-orders live," is is very reassuring. It's very welcome from them.
3: Yeah, especially just because right now everything's just so confusing in the world <laughs> as it stands, <laughs> and like transparency around something like this, you know, that people are genuinely looking forward to in a year that is basically just hell on earth uh is is really important so i'm pleased that we're going to find out i'm pleased that it can be a thing that we look forward to and i'm pleased that people can be prepared
4: yeah, yeah.
2: It, especially because it is going to be you know a big monetary investment and uh, a large part of this year being hell on earth is the fact that a lot of people are in financial dire straits and so those who who are looking forward to buying this or trying to figure that out um it, it is interesting because i guess. The only, you know, we're only a few months out from the presumed holiday 2020 launch. Uh, you know, a lot of people are guessing November, so that leaves us only a few months. I, like, the only console I can remember having such an, uh, a quick turnaround from being able to purchase it to when it was available was the Switch, when they had that, you know, January reveal, and then it came out in uh, the beginning of March. Uh mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I, I feel like, and I could be just misremembering, but I feel like we usually knew about consoles and were able to buy them and put money down a little bit earlier than this.
3: Yeah, and again, like it, it is surprising uh, that we we haven't been told by now. Considering exactly what you said before, Dono, that it's a tough year for people financially, uh, far tougher than than, than most years uh and we should be told how much we need to put aside how much we need to start saving especially you know if it if it is a struggle for you to save uh it would be great to know sooner rather than later um how much you know <laughs> this thing is going to cost because it is going to is going to be pricey
2: yeah it's a it's a strange time for all of that like it's uh, other than the switch it just reminds me kind of of like Apple where they show off an iPhone and then it's uh available for pre-order the day after and then it comes on sale two weeks later. Yeah. Uh it's a it's a very strange turnaround and you know people are used to that buying habit but mm-hmm. they're not used to it when it comes to consoles and so I am very curious to see how the launch of these things is going to go especially cuz there was a report uh end of last week that Sony is reportedly uh increasing manufacturing production for the PS5 uh so much so that it would be uh, several million more would be available by the end of Q1 2020 than there were of the PS4, which to me says that they are confident in what they're making and presumably the price point if they think that can sell uh, during yeah.
4: all this time. I mean, the the confidence in that it will sell doesn't surprise me, but definitely like the 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 I guess the there's so much uncertainty right right now with everything like anything can just like it feels like in this year anything at the drop of a hat can just be like oh this unexpected thing happened and now x y and z is impacted and so like i i I don't blame them if there is a strategy of like delaying that reveal a little bit longer a little bit closer to release so that they can really make sure that they have their ducks in a row before we like before they put it all down on ink in ink, you know that I, whether they're doing that or not I'm not sure, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a motivator of it
2: and of course, another big motivator is Xbox hasn't gone yet, and right. this this year this whole console lead up has very much been a are you gonna do it or are, are we who like yeah. who who goes first it is uh, amazing how much it's like who's gonna blink first has been like the talking point of this uh, generation's lead up. But, you know, I don't don't think that's a
4: surprise. I mean, last year it didn't, or sorry, last generation it didn't happen because they were offset a year, right? But the gen-
2: Uh, The gen before
4: that. Sorry. Yeah. The gen before that, yeah. they, I know there was an offset year and then they were lined up here. Right. The switch was okay. There we go. That now I'm yeah. weird. The, <laughs> the, okay. year, the generation before that was like, it wasn't really a talking point, but I feel like last gen, there was also a little bit of that, of who's going to blink first in terms of price. Like, I feel like that is always the thing because hardware decisions have to be made so much earlier. You can't really wait for somebody to be like, well, we've got 12 teraflops and then be like, ha, we got 13, you know, like you can't physically do that, but you there is wiggle room to do that with price. And so it becomes very important to say like, okay, let's actually see how we're positioning ourselves against the competition here. And man, that is a scary game to play but it's one I understand.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and as opposed to, you know, the E3 where that happened with the PS4 and Xbox One, where it's right. literally a 72-hour turnaround, it's now whenever they feel like it because there there are no limitations for when they have to have a conference, you know? like yeah. this This showcase for Xbox is happening a month and a week after the PlayStation conference happened, and presumably if PlayStation goes next, it'll probably be at least another month before that. So it's this very weird, like... Each of them is taking their measured time to see how the other reacts, uh, yep. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that as long as they can possibly let it go.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but in terms of sort of the the strange trickle of information, where you know things can come out of nowhere, we did get uh, yesterday morning a tweet from Insomniac Games to drill down to a more specific case. Uh, Insomniac confirmed that. Miles Morales, Spider-Man Miles Morales on PS5 will have a fork, an optional 4K 60 frames per second performance mode. Uh, and if you especially have been playing on PS4, a big thing this generation has been a sort of performance versus resolution mode where you're often choosing whether or not to go for a locked frame rate uh, with probably a lowered resolution or a higher resolution, but a possibly varied frame rate. Um, that has been sort of like the big choice you often have to make, especially with the biggest first and third-party releases. Um, and, you know, for this next generation, especially because the PS4 Pro was doing that upscaling 4K, we've been told 4K is going to be a very big selling point for the PS4, the PS5, excuse me. And uh, even 8K is supposed to come at some point for this gen. But Shut um,
3: up. Shut you up know, the 8K, Sony.
2: 8K is coming in a decade. Um, but much. no, I, I, I guess what strikes me about this tweet is the them saying it is an optional 4K60 mode because to me 4K60 is the the thing they are going to be reaching for like that is the the you know the goal so what is what is that mode giving up as a result of hitting 4K60 i guess
3: well i mean uh, you know it's, ray tracing is the obvious answer right like yeah. that's what everyone has been talking about that they would that that ray tracing would be a feature in the 30 uh frames per second but not in the 60 um i think it's an interesting announcement from Insomniac and Sony because uh I think that Xbox is 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 boasting power and 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 60 frames per second is gonna be something that we're gonna hear a lot from from that side of things. Uh and I think there's been a lot of chatter about PlayStation 5 sort of maybe not that's not the 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 benchmark that you know maybe it is it is thirty thirty frames per second it's still gonna be the the standard and you know Digital Foundry has been doing a lot of uh uh, work on this and, and talking about what you substitute one or the other, right? Um, so I think that knowing that that you can play in sixty frames per second uh, for a launch title is is kind of a little bit of a little bit of a PR move, like hey, this is this is a thing that this console can do. Like it's not you know it's not locked at thirty frames per second. It can. It's it's a powerful console, uh, but yeah, it is still a. a, a, a a game sort of that is based on a a PlayStation 4 game, they haven't upholed the entire thing, right? It's going to feel more like an extension of the original uh, Spider-Man game on the PlayStation 4. Uh, So it's it's not entirely surprising to me that it's optional. Um, But uh, yeah, it feels like a little bit of a PR move, I think, in terms of timing.
2: Well, and especially for a game where, uh, you know, it had that forced error of a you know introduction with the sony european exec talking about whether or not it was an expansion uh and that whole 48 hour pr cycle where they had to quickly you know address all of that uh it's definitely something where i think they you know they have something that people so loved with the original spider-man and it's like how do you you it's hard to mess that up, but it felt like that initial step was, and so this feels like a way to, you know, continue the trend of. Here's what you want from this game. We're trying to deliver on what you want from it. It's going to be a proper new PS5 Spider-Man experience. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I just am still so shocked that you know we're getting this game this fall, and we have the the two minute cinematic trailer, and that's about it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spider-Man was so big for them, so I'm I'm hoping we do get to see a continued rollout in the next few weeks.
0: To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show.
2: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The months. Tom, uh, as someone who's probably, I guess, a little bit more tech savvy than me, (laughs) um, I would say... Not me,
3: though. I'm a a tech genius. I mean, Lucy...
2: If you knew the dumb tech questions I have asked Tom over the months, <laughs> he, can, he can attest to this. Like I've, I've been the person who has helped people with some tech around the IGN audience, the offices sometimes. And then the things I've asked Tom make me look like just the hundred year old grandpa that I secretly am. <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess, you know, like as we get into this next generation, I, an interesting thing that we've seen, cause it doesn't matter to me as much, but like. 4K60 is the thing that the IGN audience like really does care about these consoles hitting as we mm-hmm. get into next gen. So do you feel like this is something that at least at the the interim, we're going to be seeing maybe on the PS5 side, because there is that uh, connotation that it is less powerful um, overall. Do you, do you think we're going to be seeing them trying to push, like, don't worry, these games will still perform very well. It's going to feel next gen. Do you feel like that's going to have to be a large part of their push?
4: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things we're definitely going to see more of is essentially an expansion of this idea of like performance modes, right? Like we got a, we only really started getting that as a concept with the mid generation consoles like the PS4 Pro, right? Where suddenly it was, oh, you can actually choose between these two things. And I don't think it's going to be, I, I don't think we should be at all surprised to see a lot more games adapting that next next console generation like more in a widespread way especially because you know on on the microsoft side of things they're just sort of merging xbox and pc and pc games have had these sort of graphics options constantly for a, a long you know forever um so now that we have a little bit more control i think that we're definitely going to start seeing that the, the way they market it is is a little bit of an interesting question because you know, game, it's not like games and developers have ever not done the practice of like, or really, honestly, I'm not even going to throw developers under the bus. It's any industry ever has not been like, it's capable of up to 4k 60, right? Like every, every industry ever does that, right? It's the reason everything is priced at 59.99 instead of $60 so that they can say under $60, right? Like it's these deceptive little things that, are sort of like the white lies of capitalism to be put it bluntly. (laughs) Um, But like the the thing that I'm interested in seeing is how kind of in depth they decide to go with these things because, you know, PC set graphic settings have proved you can tweak all sorts of stuff. Right like I'm really interested what this turns off because I played PC games where I will not get 60 FPS on my PC and then I'll turn the shadows down from ultra to high and suddenly I'm getting 60 FPS, right? So like a lot of these performance tweaks could end up being a lot smaller or not not as noticeable as we think they're going to be. Or it could be ray tracing where it's going to be very noticeable because ray tracing is such a kind of enormous step up but either way i do hope we see more of this sort of customization and adaptability going forward because i think it only helps people right like it only you you get to, you don't need to like choose between what do you want 30 fps or, or like you don't usually get the choice between like oh do you want higher frame rate or higher graphics or this or that or that and it's like why not like let's just give that power to people more <laughs> if it's important yeah. to as want.
3: as a as a pc gamer do you hear us console Farmers, what I don't even know what the term is. (laughs) Console, console When we talk about numbers like this, do you sort of like laugh from on high, like your monocle falls out into your? (laughs) Well, the the (laughs) sixty-dollar
4: whiskey. Yeah, the sixty FPS thing is is very funny because like (laughs) thirty FPS has like been unacceptable in PC gaming for a half decade, right? Like thirty FPS has been abandoned a long, long time ago and largely the community of PC gamers would always choose FPS over all the graphic settings being maxed. So I don't think that's a thing that's like only console or only PC people in terms of mindset. But the the part I don't like laugh at is like, and I think the part that I think if you don't have experience tweaking graphic settings on a PC, you might not fully grasp is how insanely hard 4K is to render, right? Mm -hmm. You need a high end PC, even today, to get 4K 60 FPS max settings on a good looking game. You need a really good PC to do that, right? So when I see something like PlayStation 5 being like, we're targeting 4K 30 as our stable thing, and some games will be able to do 60, maybe if you tweak some settings, I'm like, yeah, that's understandable, right? Like, I, right. I, I get that because I've tried to get a game running at 4K, 60 FPS, stable on max Mm -hmm. settings, and you need a really, really strong rig to do it. So like, I, I think that people underestimate the jump from 1080 to 4K, and it is significant. And it's not just the type of thing that you can do like, okay, everything's gonna be 4K and all the frame rates are gonna go up. Like that is a, it's not that simple. Um, so no, I don't. I don't like look down on it at all. <laughs> uh,
2: well, before we head back out to the console farms, uh, I, I do need to ask.
3: Um, work um, the console um, farms.
2: Uh, a, a hard day at work in the the blazing sun and the the loud exhaust fans of those console these, farms.
4: These are your words. I'm not saying any um, of this.
2: I know, <laughs> uh, Tom. Tom, I do need to ask. flailing away. <laughs> could. <laughs> Henry Cavill's PC run 4K60. Uh
4: I've been on vacation so I didn't even look at his PC. Ah oh,
2: man, Tom, what are you doing?
4: I know. Probably. Well, also I real talk, no
2: one was looking at the PC. So, uh you're you're fine. But um yeah, it it's very interesting to have, you know, for me as someone who like couldn't care less about the frame rate as long as it like runs well. Like I frame. always choose the resolution mode on my PS4 Pro. Like I always want God of War or Ghost or Last of Us, whatever, to look as pretty as possible. And if there's a couple dropped frames, I'm not like, I'm not playing a multiplayer game in that case. So for me, it doesn't bother me if there's a little bit of a slight, you know, hiccup every now and then. Totally. Um yeah, and I, then you have
4: do you, you have the other end of the, the side of the coin, right? Which is like Counter-Strike, professional Counter-Strike players who will play with or Overwatch players who will play with every setting at the absolute bare minimum so that it can run it on their 240 hertz monitor, right? Like the it's it's different strokes and and I'm that's what I was saying is like I just want to see options because yeah. it's just is only a good thing if you give people options and how they want to play and what they want to prioritize.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and before we sort of move off the, the PS5 side of things, uh, Tom and Lucia, do you need to ask, I started a um, perhaps worrying uh, debate last week on the show, where we were talking about whether or not you're going to buy the digital or the the other version of the PS5. And the problem is, we realized, particularly as Br- Altano was trying to say it, there's no good way to refer to the like one version as with disc and one version as without disc. Um, you know, you can say disc, disc but that starts to get weird. Uh, whereas the other version would be disc full. Like there's no, there's no good way for this naming convention. And so the only way I could think to say it was, and I need someone to tell me if I'm insane, discs in or discs out <laughs> for PS5. And I need to know which way you both are leaning before we move on from the
3: PS5. Well, anyone who knows me knows I'm a disk thin kind of gal.
2: <laughs> the way you stared straight at the camera as you said that.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh,
2: thank you both. I needed that. Uh, Tom, any any last thoughts on disc in versus disc out before we move on? Uh, just
4: disc, disc in for the for the options for the for the versatility but i haven't bought a a, i've I've been off the discs for a long time let's put it that way
2: and what's great me too (laughs) (laughs) my girlfriend got mad at me at how loud i just (laughs) oh boy um I guess um I don't really know how to say it otherwise speaking of that the last of us part 2 was the number 1 selling game of June 2020 uh it was I'll, I'll let you think about that one uh it was the uh fastest selling in terms of monetary dollars um first party ps4 game fastest selling exclusive uh save for only spider-man which technically at the time wasn't from a first party studio but now is the whole thing but anyway spider-man is the only faster selling ps4 exclusive at in its launch month uh, for a sony published game uh, of course last of us part two sold over four million copies in its first three days and then had you know another 10 or so days uh another week in june to sell and obviously it did pretty well uh i do want to talk about that in one second but i i do want to mention one of my favorite things that mpd did for this month uh was mention the fact that of of the top ten. Ring Fit Adventure went from number 835 on the sales chart in May to number 7 in June, uh, proving Sony should really get in on the fitness trend before it's too late.
4: Well, Uh, I think that that was uh, just like real quickly. I think that was even just because it was like completely out of stock in May, right? So it was just like the second that game restocked, everyone bought it. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it was the perfect conf- confluence of like, it was so hard to find that game for the first few months of Shelter in Place, and then right. had the stock. Because I don't think when Nintendo put that out, they really anticipated there would be a need for a lot of in home exercise for people.
4: Luckily, um, I think that the DualSense also doubles as a Pilates ring, right? So,
2: yes, yeah, you can pull it apart yes. and do those stretches. It's very versatile. Uh, that was in the deluxe edition of Jeff Keighley's stream, if you didn't get to watch that. Right. Um, but I do want to ask anyone surprised uh you know obviously there has been i would say a tough discussion around the game at times Mm -hmm. when it came to um just how people were receiving this game both because of leaks true and not and just the general you know tone of conversation was not i would say as positive as probably you know many would hope critical reception aside but i think this obviously you know shows there is a bit of a gap when it comes sometimes to the Arguments you sometimes see on Twitter versus the general buying populace for a game like this. Yeah,
3: I, I mean, for for this one, I've always sort of maintained that the the discourse online was pretty exhausting and and all encompassing, and it felt that for those of us who who work online and, and spend a great deal of time on on sites like Twitter, that uh, you know, that the discourse was incredibly negative, that people were hating on it, that people weren't going to buy it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's easy to forget that Twitter is that, is that, you know, uh, a friend of mine described it as a filth bubble. Um, and once you get outside of that, uh, people are just carrying on their everyday lives. And of course the last of us was an incredibly successful game back in 2013 and people have, uh, you know, huge brand ties to it. Um, and of course it was, the sequel was going to sell well. And I imagine continue to sell well, uh, and it deserves to, it's a great game. It's a fantastic game.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where I think it it is very easy to think about, you know, we work for a site and talk to each other and a lot of other people about games every day, but there are so many people, you know, The Last of Us won both on PS3 and PS4 combined had sold over, I think, 14 million copies as of the last tally. Like it had sold a pretty great amount. And it's one of those things where so many of those people who were buying a PS4 early in the days had probably heard this game was very good, bought it, loved it, don't follow games, saw the sequel ads on TV and went to go buy the game. Um, yeah, and there, there is a, a mass audience that comes for a game like this that doesn't really see as Lucy was saying, that discourse that's happening online necessarily. Um, but, uh, I, for one, of course, you know, you may have heard that I liked the game quite a bit, uh, am very happy to see it at the top of the charts. And I'm very excited to see, uh, sort of continued success, uh, and, you know, very, very, very happy for that game doing so well. And uh, for that team, because obviously it was a very clear labor of love. And one of my favorite things I think has been seeing the Naughty Dog team as a whole, start to like, talk really, really in depth about every little small bit of the game on Twitter. I would say that's been probably the best part of the Twitter discourse is seeing like, here's how the sound of the glass came to be. And it's like, An amazing 15 tweet thread from one of the designers about how they perfectly got the the glass to both be dynamic but also realistic but also work all the time uh it's it's such a fun part of the process to see
3: yeah and it must be so cathartic for them as well having been under that embargo uh you know with the leaks happening at the time uh they really just couldn't say anything uh it must have been an unbearable situation for them to be in and now obviously the game is out We're we're a few weeks out from the 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 most toxic discourse and and people are actually just starting to talk about it and 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 talk about it critically but a bit talk about it in this very minute way because it's a game of so many moving parts uh so yeah i can just imagine that must be an incredibly cathartic experience having been silent for so long
2: yeah for (laughs) Years to yeah. yeah, finally be able to say here's what we are doing and be, uh, understandably quite proud of that. It has been really fun to see and just kudos to that whole team again for a, a great game. That Tom, when his arms work better, will be able to play. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I do want to keep moving on because there is a little bit more uh, news left to cover this week. the The first thing I want to mention uh, of the last few stories is. Uh, you know, I feel like Tom. Last time I think we had you on the show. We were talking about uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two development, and here we are talking about it again because uh, the last time we talked about it, apparently the development had been delayed. It was impacted, and it was going to be slower and not in a hundred percent capacity. I guess it's at a hundred percent capacity now because according to a new interview in Famitsu, we got word via some translation that the next installment is in full development. Um, they can't really say much more about it at this point, but, uh, that game's coming at some point in the future. We've been told by, uh, Tatuja Nomura and other people on the team when they've given interviews that they hope the next follow-ups to remake part one will come at a quicker pace than from the reveal of that game to its final release. But, um, I, you know, hearing that it's in full development, I don't know what that means compared to a week ago. Right, we were told that development was impacted, I guess.
4: (laughs) I mean, both could be true, right? Like it could have been impacted and then just like they sorted it out, I guess, which is good. It's just, once again, I think I said this exact same thing last time is a, a delay of a thing that doesn't have a date is useless to me, right? And in the same way, like an undelay of a thing that doesn't have a date is also useless to me. Like until we know more about what timeline they're even thinking of, hearing it's in full development is like, good good for them. I hope they are progressing
3: well. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and saying, you know, we want the game to be out as soon as possible is also kind of non-information. <laughs> right. Because, you know, really, uh, you do want your, your game to be out as soon as possible if it's in, you know, as long as it's in good shape, right? The part, the part we're looking for is the what's possible part. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
4: Yeah.
2: Um. You know, hopefully, though, this one, because uh, remake pretty famously did switch development teams mid-cycle and so that obviously led to a bit of the delay with it seemingly just being the same team continuing on hopefully that you know allows them things to be a bit smoother uh we also did get a little information uh about remake part one including that uh roche was supposed to have a battle in chapter 14 uh to which tom slacked me earlier that in all caps no duh
4: i i won't get into spoilers for that game yeah I will say, I have, I've already talked a lot. If you would listen to the spoiler cast of Final Fantasy VII Remake from, from us that like, man, that dude's character was pointless. <laughs> yeah. So to hear he had cut content, it's like, oh yeah, that tracks.
2: I believe it. Sure. Um, I would not be surprised if we get, uh, especially given Nomura's work on the Kingdom Hearts franchise, if we do somehow get a, it, in, especially particularly if Remake Part 2 takes a while to come out, if we get a like du- director's cut of Part 1. Oh man, um, you know we, we do get the final mix versions of Kingdom Hearts, so it wouldn't shock you if we get that. Um, but the other a piece of information that at least has come out so far from this is a 15-page interview. So presumably there's more. But uh, the other piece of information was they couldn't go further with the Madame M massage scene, otherwise ratings would go up.
4: So <laughs> that I just d- like straight up is them saying like it it was a brothel that they couldn't make a brothel, basically. Yeah. Just yeah, like that—that that means
2: that basically, this already incredibly—you know—let's say it—horny game. They couldn't make more explicitly horny. <laughs> um, but you know, I still had a very fun time with Final Fantasy VII remake. With what yeah. was in there, looking forward to part
3: two. I mean, I kind, kind of label. love horny.
4: Yeah, I kind of <laughs> love that too because that scene is oh, yeah. hysterical as is. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like I think if it was just like a sex scene, I would kind of be. It would sort of like I wouldn't be remembering it right now, but like now I remember this like sensual hand massage cloud got, and I'm like, oh yeah, that scene was kind of hilarious. Yeah, it is, it, it now
2: feels like a parody of what that scene would have been if not right, right,
4: yeah,
2: um, so, which is a, a very interesting thing. But speaking of, uh, if not pieces of games, full games that never happened, uh, in the wake of Ghost of Tsushima. Seemingly uh, alleged footage of a canceled uh, Sucker Punch game has leaked online. This is not something that Sucker Punch has fully owned up to or given um, confirmation of necessarily, but this seems to have come from an employee's portfolio that has since been taken down. But fans were able to essentially rehost a 10 minute vertical slice of a game called Prophecy. Doesn't seem like this is going to be a game that we're getting anywhere in the future, but to give people a little bit of a breakdown, it was very clearly a single-player cinematic adventure, uh, followed a protagonist named uh, Abel uh, Tavora. uh, who seem to have been an outlaw in their home city that was overrun by some masked enclave um, that was tearing down the statue of a king in this demo. We see the protagonist essentially running away, getting into a few street fights, but uh, essentially trying to uh, outrun somewhat of a mixture of a medieval and steampunk city. Uh, obviously this is not something that they ended up going with. They ended up going with Ghost of Tsushima. I don't know if either of you got a chance to check out the footage, but it it. I guess would explain to a certain extent, you know, there was a very large gap in between where Sucker Punch put out uh, Second Sun and First Light at the beginning of this gen and now Ghost at the end of this generation. So it totally makes sense that there was at least one, if not a couple projects that didn't see the light of day. Yeah. Um, I mean, but...
3: this make, this makes sense. Like, you know, games are, are sort of put into soft development and, and then and then killed all the time, you know, far more often than we, we think uh i remember the one time i was working on a game uh back in in 2010 that that terrible car combat game that i co-wrote the script for um and you know we were just told oh it's probably going to get cancelled and i remember asking at the time like uh is this is this normal and they were like oh yeah yeah, yeah totally totally normal yeah. and this is you know for the playstation the three and the, the the you know xbox 360 it wasn't it wasn't like a, an indie game it was a a, a studio game by activision um, and yeah, these things are, are, are sort of developed and, and they get to a certain point and they're killed. And it's, yeah, it, it doesn't really necessarily mean that this was the game that never was. It's just sometimes it gets so far in development and, and, and then it's it's killed. I can only imagine how devastating and uncertain that makes the life of a developer. Um, you know, highs and lows, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, yeah,
4: generally, the the rule of thumb, I think you should consider is that for every game you hear about that got canceled, you probably heard about at least six, you probably, at least six more you didn't hear about, right? Mm -hmm. So this is is not, every time I hear about a canceled game, I think it's a really, really cool little insight into like what that development studio was working on, Mm -hmm. what they were thinking about, how that maybe influenced future things. But I never take it as like, oh, we never got this, like Lucy said, right? Like it's, we were never going to get it.
2: (laughs) Totally. And and there's often, you know, some work, Some stuff just does get scrapped entirely, but sometimes some work done for projects gets transferred over to the game that eventually does come out, Um, whether it's, you know, development research on the back end or like actual gameplay ideas that you see in the gameplay or character designs. One thing that really stood out to me was at the beginning of this, um, and maybe it's just because, you know, I've been playing so much Ghost recently, but very clearly all of the characters have very distinct either masks or like facial bandanas uh covering either the bottom half or the top half of their faces and given that ghost has all of these collectible masks and bandanas hmm. and headbands i was like oh maybe some of the character design kind of seeped through even though it's a different like cultural focus and a different setting and all of that stuff it's like you can kind of see some character work that translated through yeah um, which again like you both were saying it doesn't you know it, it it can be equal parts gutting, but also very seemingly kind of part of how this business just operates day to day, um, which is a strange thing, but I always do love when we get to see things from the light of day, especially when it's official. So hopefully um, some of the devs may be able to talk about this stuff after Ghost has been out for a little while. Uh, anyway, that, that pretty much all wraps up the big news of this week. I did want to briefly mention Overcooked is coming to PS5. I don't have much news about that, but I love Overcooked. Yeah. I can't wait to play it on PS5. <laughs> yeah. Tom, did you see the comparison screenshots?
4: No, I don't I'm have just... them
2: to. I don't have them to pull up, but they uh, they rebuilt Overcooked One in the Overcooked Two engine, and then of course we're putting everything in 4K remaster. So there's these shots where it's like a barren jungle landscape around the kitchen, and then it looks like, oh, I wasn't that the game all along. This incredibly detailed looking setting. Yeah. It's like, nope, that's just what my brain thought it was. Um, yeah. Which is nice to see that we're already at that point when it comes to next-gen because of uh, remasters and remakes that we're getting. But uh, <laughs> I love that game. It's one of my favorite like couch co-op multiplayer games, so I'm excited to see it make the jump to next-gen as well. Um, that pretty much wraps up all the news for the week. I do want to briefly mention, and it's something that I don't know if we have enough time to um, mention, but I do think it's worth it, especially because we talked about it so much on the show last week. Um, We talked a lot about, you know, the big Ubisoft releases last week, and there is, and forgive me, guys, I didn't put this on the run of the show, but it was something I was, you know, obviously thinking about all day. Uh, There was the big report from Schreier at Bloomberg, uh, really delving into sort of all the behind the scenes, um, just awful things that have been committed by a lot of people uh, at Ubisoft, you know, in executive roles, um, harassment, and all these allegations that we're seeing come to light that have been, you know, coming out in the week's prior to Ubisoft Forward, but are continuing to be such a big part of that company's focus right now. Um, And it's, I I just, you know, wanted to bring it up, One to say like, I, I think there's so much there that it would probably be almost too complex to dive into really far, but it's safe to say that, like all of our hearts and our thoughts are with the people who have been affected um, by the harassment by the abuse that's been faced there you know there are hundreds and thousands of people who work on these individual ubisoft games sometimes and so there are so many hard working people there who are trying to make a great game they believe in and it's awful to see that work mired by the terrible behaviors of quite a few unfortunate people at the the companies but um i i, I think we're all very um impressed and respectful of all of the people who are coming forward and speaking about these topics as they have been uh and Yeah, no, yeah.
3: Abs- absolutely like it is it's 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 so sad um but it's it's really important. We're seeing a we've we've seen, you know, these these moments in the industry before, but this one feels uh particularly significant. Uh it, it, you know, there will be another moment happening again like this. Uh I just really hope that that the people coming forward will ultimately end up, uh, helping real change, uh, happen in this industry. Because right now it, it does feel very, uh, like there needs to be some massive changes. Um, so I hope that that happens and yeah, and we will continue to cover that stuff from our end as well. Uh, Joe Scribbles and I actually from the the UK team, are. are, are writing a big piece on the um you know the future of the industry post this particular moment in time. And uh you know, I, I do think that there's hope. Uh but yeah, I again just to echo you, Dorno, I think that like it's 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 our hearts go out and uh, you know, admire your bravery and your strength.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh it's definitely something and I, I think we've said this on the show before. Um, and it's something we can always be better about But we talked about it when it came even to, you know, the crunch stories that were coming up, especially around Red Dead. But uh, it's on us as part of the industry to continue shining a spotlight on this stuff and making sure it stays in the conversation because that change is amazing to see happen. We have already seen some changes uh, at the Ubisoft structural level, but, you know, long-lasting important change will only keep happening if we keep a spotlight on this stuff and don't let it be forgotten. Uh, and so we'll we'll, we'll definitely be... Talking about this stuff in larger detail, I think, in, in the weeks and months to come, uh, and definitely keep an eye out for, you know, as Lucy had mentioned, the coverage she and Joe are working on, and uh, we'll continue to cover that stuff here, uh, as we go on. Uh, before we wrap up the show, though, I do briefly want to mention, uh, Tom, I, I, I had put in the run of show that we weren't going to talk about what we we're playing this week because we've all been very busy and we talked about uh ghost of tsushima on the spoiler free show last week but tom you platinumed a very important game and so i wanted to give you a couple minutes to talk about platinuming persona 5 royal how was it because
3: i uh, haven't gotten
4: there yet
2: you
3: was- platinum persona 5 real you maniac
4: platinum-ed <laughs> it, i will say oh, and i anybody, love you anybody else who's done this it's a surprisingly simple platinum like uh-huh. it's it's not like it's not impossible it's not like crazy easy but like having beaten the first game or the original game already like it. if you're if you know what to do to kind of max out that game you'll know how to platinum this pretty easily um which i was kind of surprised about like i wasn't going for the platinum and then i ended up uh i think it was like two weeks of the game left and i looked at my trophies and i was like Oh, I could do this. Like, okay. And then, and then I just made it happen. But yeah, it took me like 139 hours to finish that game and do the platinum. Uh, it was an absolute joy. I did not think I was gonna finish that game once, let alone twice. So <laughs> it's very cool. I very much enjoyed it. Uh and yeah, I'm I'm j I just love that game. <laughs> I just love Persona yeah. 5.
2: It's I I really need to get back to it. It's one of those like, oh, I was going to get back to it and then I did the review for Last of Us and then Ghost came out and now it's like, okay, we have a little bit of a lull before like this crazy fall happens, maybe now's the time to get back to it. Uh I do have to say you now need to go and platinum it in Japanese much like Andrew did with the original Persona. Uh I'll pass.
4: I was going to start up Persona 4 Golden though.
2: That's fair. That's a, that's also a good option. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always impressed and a little scared by Andrew's commitment to those Platinums uh, back in the day when there wasn't a guide and he was making his way through that game, not understanding Japanese uh, and still managed to beat it. So good, good on him. But, He's a uh, madman. Yeah, hopefully I can join you in that Platinum Club soon enough. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, I did want to just briefly ask if uh, any of you uh, have anything that you're working on currently that you want to plug, that you want to you know, point people to on IGN or elsewhere. Uh, Lucy, I'll start with you.
3: Oh, uh, well, aside from the usual feature content uh, written by our lovely staff and freelancers, I uh, did have the opportunity to interview the Ghostwire team at Tango Studios. Um, check that interview out. It's not like the juiciest interview. Uh, often, you know, when you're emailing questions, especially when they're sort of answered in a different language, uh, they go through several sets of eyes. And sometimes the answers that come back are a little, uh, how, how, how should we say it? Like airbrushed, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Um, but, you know, there were we did get some interesting like little details. Uh, for example, Ghostwire is not going to be a horror game. Uh, they're not even thinking of it as a horror game. It's an action adventure. So that's a real departure for Tango. Uh, Shinji Mikami, who's executive producer on Ghostwire, said that he is still very passionate about survival horror as a genre, which is good, which is heartening for me because you know there are so very few AAA studios who have that focus. Um, so I I'm happy to hear that they still love horror and there's still going to be elements of, of of horror in Ghostwire uh anyway that was like that was the biggest revelation in my interview <laughs> but if you're you know if you're intrigued to hear anything about Grosswire, please check it out because um yeah there are there are some little little sort of teases in there that that i think are exciting
2: and tom what about you you're just back uh, fresh from a break so i understand. yeah, back
3: fresh
4: from a break i i'll say shout out to our uh comic-con at home coverage which we're doing all this week if you're watching it they're listening to this podcast live this week we're doing lots of comic-con stuff and then also keep an eye out for our gamescom stuff next month all very exciting we're doing more and more and more shows after summer of gaming because apparently summer of gaming will never end and it'll just go (laughs) on forever and be great and so i'm looking forward to that and i'm helping out with that so keep an eye out
2: The summer will soon become the fall of gaming and will uh, only continue into the winter, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I definitely. Cold winter of gaming. Cold winter of gaming. (laughs) Uh, As as the fields of the console farms uh, grow dry, the the winter of gaming will keep us warm. Uh, I do want to briefly mention. None of that sentence uh, made
3: any sense. (laughs) I was just saying
2: words. What do you want from me? It's Friday. Um, it's not Friday, it's Tuesday. I'm very sorry. (laughs) But, uh, no, I do also want to definitely mention if you...
4: This is how messed up I am, though, is because you said it's Friday, and I was like, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Wait.
2: I do want to mention, uh, sort of a sister piece, if you, uh, will, to the Ghostwire Tokyo interview. We also interviewed another Bethesda-published PS5 launch-exclusive, Deathloop. Uh, Matt Perslow out of our IGN-UK team spoke to the uh, art and creative director of that game, and they spoke a little bit... More about, like, what the game actually is, how it both, like, is and isn't, like, a roguelike. Tom, you might be interested. A lot of the things they were saying really reminded me of basically the Outer Wilds. Or uh, Outer Wilds, excuse me, though, the... but they talked a lot about that, a, a bit about using the Dual Sense, what they're doing on PS5. So definitely go check out that interview and also uh, check out all of our IGN First coverage this month. Uh, I'm covering Marvel's Avengers, and we have some really exciting stuff coming up in the last few drops for that. So look forward to that uh, later this month. But otherwise, I think that pretty much wraps us up. For this episode of podcast beyond thank you all so much for joining us thank you for watching or listening uh thank you tom thank you lucy thank you to john our producer i never call you john so that was very weird for me to say thank you to <laughs> borba uh anyway thank you all so much we hope you're safe we hope you're well and as always beyond
1: oh we're playing chicken Beyond. <laughs> beyond